senior pastor. Hi. Thanks, Matt. Good morning, guys. I am glad you're here. How many of you normally come to the 11 o'clock service? Yeah, I knew you. That's all right. Um, before we jump into the actual talk today, I'm going to give a little pre-talk before the talk. I'll be short today. We'll be fine. But um, one of the things that happened to me during worship this morning, and I, I never forget my mic. And all of a sudden, James, our tech guy, who's phenomenal, by let's give her for James in the back. Uh, <laughs> he comes up and he leans into me because I'm lost in worship. And, and he has his mic in, my mic in his hands. Like, oh, yeah, I got to put that on. And uh, I was thinking about it as I'm trying to struggle to put this on, you know, and not make a big scene out of it in the process of doing this in front of everybody, how easy it is for us to get distracted. Anybody ever get distracted? Anybody like me, ADD, anyhow, it's really tough to be focused on anything. And, and, I, and I had this, this inspirational moment as I'm being distracted to encourage you when you come to worship on Sunday mornings to really learn. And it's something you have to learn. It doesn't happen normally, naturally. You have to learn to set aside the stuff that's going to distract you. Or maybe even to set aside the sin that you might have committed yesterday or last night or this morning. Because when we come here to worship, when we come, this isn't just filler. This isn't just some music so you can be entertained. This is your opportunity to really focus on God. And I don't have my glasses on, so I'm really going to be in trouble. But I'm going to write to, uh, try to read to you this passage. One of my favorites from Hebrews chapter 12. Some, somebody hold this for me. Um, the writer said this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and of course he's talking about those who have gone before us in heaven, but you're surrounded right here by a great crowd of witnesses. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on him. And I just felt a, a moment of inspiration this morning, a personal inspiration and one that I want to bring today. When you come here on Sunday mornings, guys, our number one value is love. And it's love God and love others. And we come here to love him. We come here to focus on him. We come, and this, you know, my talk is an important part where I get to equip and encourage and speak to you from the word. But just as important, maybe even more so, is this time where you come to set your heart right and to say, God, I've got all this stuff in my life. All this stuff that's distracting me. Somebody cut me off on the way to you know, church this morning. My wife, you know, said something that ticked me off this morning. My kids, they're still, you know, making me mad. Whatever it is, we choose to set that aside. And even to set aside our own personal sin. I wrote about sin, the things that trip us up. I wrote about it, posted it my blog this week. And always it's interesting to me how I, when I post anything like that, I hardly get any views and hardly any shares. Because people don't want to face the fact that we all have sin. That's the reality, but here's a greater reality. We can set it aside to worship. We can come to him and fix our eyes on Jesus who for the, for, because he loves you, because he wanted to die for those sins, we can put our eyes and our focus and attention on him. So just a little inspiration, a little current uh, challenge to you as you come this morning to worship. And we're going to worship one last time at the end of the service today. It's going to be a great song. I want to encourage you, if that moment is the first moment today where you really fix on him, please do so. Well, last week... We talked about uh, love. We started our series, Loveology. And uh, I realize relationship series are uh, a love-hate thing for some of you. Some of you like them, some of you don't. Uh, I said last week, in fact, my main point was this. So love is hard work and a choice you make to be self-giving. That was my big idea last week. Love is hard work. And I didn't get any argument about that. The hard part is where we have to make the choice. And it is a choice to be self-giving, to die, to lay our lives down. 
As I spoke last week, and some of you, you know, probably not as aware uh, as I am of the people around you. I'm usually fairly in touch with what's going on with our folks, and uh, when I spoke about love last week, and then afterwards, as I prayed for some of you, I could tell how difficult last week's talk was for you, was and is for you. Some of you have failed at love, and I, a whole series called Love, Loveology is like, oh man, I have failed at this so many times. And some of you, a lot of you, have been let down many times by others. You thought you could trust them, and they broke your heart. And there's this huge, gaping, sucking hole in your heart. And so today, I want to talk about what to do when love has let you down. When love has let you down. When a BFF is now, a, you know, not a BFF, and they don't even want to talk to you. When a parent has done something that's deeply wounded you. When a child has done something that's deeply wounded you. Or when your marriage has been shattered or is in the process of being shattered. You know, I've taught on divorce many times over the years, and I've written about divorce and, and adultery in my book, Mr. and Mrs., How to Thrive in a Perfectly Imperfect Marriage. I've blogged about it. So today I'm not going to specifically talk about divorce and remarriage, uh, though I'm very aware, very aware that many of you have been through that. But what I want to focus on today is how to recover. How to recover when love or marriage has let you down. Now, I've not gone through divorce as a spouse. Uh, however, I have been through it as a son. My parents were divorced. Uh, as a brother, uh, my, one of my little brothers and my baby sister have both been divorced. Uh, of course, I've been through it uh, as a pastor with parishioners, and I've walked through this experience many times, uh, way too many times, with friends. I've been close enough, though I've not personally experienced divorce, I've been close enough to it to know how painful it is and how costly it is and how the loss of love shreds our soul. It just shreds us. The bad news is um, we get wounded in the process. The good news is that divorce uh, is not an unpardonable sin, that there can't be life after divorce. But the reality, again, is when relationships die, there's a part of us that dies as well. And there's grieving over that loss. Now, again, whether you've been divorced or not, uh, all of us have been wounded. How many of you have been wounded at least one time in your life? Come on. Yeah, we've all been wounded. And we all need to know the path to healing that can be found on the other side of pain. Listen to me. Healing is possible. Because of him, it's possible. Because of the love of God for you, because of his passion for you to be made whole, healing is possible. It can be found on the other side of pain. But if by chance you're sitting here today and thinking, well, you know, I've never had my heart broken, which makes you very rare, by the way. But if I've never had my heart broken, I've never been down that path, I've never been divorced, and that doesn't, this message is not going to be a benefit to me. Let me remind you of what I said last week, and I told you I would probably remind you of this just about every week. God has put you in a sphere of influence, and you have family or friends in your life who have gone through divorce, gone through broken hearts. And what I'm teaching today can and will be a benefit for you, because it will help you in your understanding and how you can help point them towards the path of healing. We are in a world, a culture, where it tends to be, if it doesn't do anything for me, I don't really care. And I'm telling you, I'm challenging that what about me mentality to say, well, even if you don't feel that this is a personal benefit to you, I promise you this, someone in your world, someone in your sphere of influence, someone related to you, a friend, a coworker, a student, somebody you know has been broken, their heart has been broken. And what I want to cover today, I want you to put into practice in your life and help them put it in practice in theirs. So what is a path to healing? Well, uh, there are many things we could talk about. But if I did talk about all of them, you would all get up and leave 
about halfway through because you want to go watch the Seahawks. So I'm going to abbreviate this and cover what I think are the three big things, the three biggest things that will help you in your path to healing. And I would encourage you to take some notes, grab a scratch piece of paper or your hand, write ink on your hand, I don't care. But here's the first thing, grieve the dream that was lost. What's the first step in healing? I truly believe this, that the first thing we've got to do is grieve the dream that was lost. On the day you got married, for example, you envisioned a long and happy life filled with uh, joy and excitement and passion. I've done lots and lots and lots of weddings, well over 100 weddings. And I've never, ever, ever seen a couple on their wedding day thinking, well, you know, we'll give this our best shot. Hope this works out, but if not, oh well, I've got a plan B, C, or D, whatever. They're not thinking that on their wedding day. In fact, I have seen people kiss at the end of the ceremony, and their kisses have made me blush, which is pretty hard to do. You know, when they're playing with each other's tonsils during the last few moments of a service, I'm like, yeah, oh my goodness, okay, let's go, amen, go. <laughs> so generally speaking, we enter into, again, whether it's marriage or even a friendship, thinking, well, this is going to be great. But I've also seen way too many times those very people that couldn't keep their hands off each other during the ceremony become disillusioned and give up on a dream. Give up on a dream. In fact, I've seen that dream die. And I tell them what I'm telling you today. Don't bypass the process of grief. Don't stuff. Don't deny. Don't ignore it. In fact, embrace grief. It's normal. It's healthy to mourn the loss of the second most important relationship to you outside of your relationship with God. Mourning is the process of responding to grief, to loss, and it can actually help you get healed. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, a lot of you, if you've been around the church, you've read the Bible, you've probably read this passage. You know, well, that's kind of cool, I guess. What does that mean? Blessed, happy are those who mourn. That just doesn't add up. For they will be comforted. I'll unpack that in a moment, but that's the promise that Jesus made. You see, in your pain... And what I believe is a healthy expression of it, of course, there can be unhealthy ways to deal with it, but in a healthy expression of your pain, you can find the comfort of God, a comfort and love and an acceptance that doesn't undo what was done to you. It doesn't wave a magic wand over your pain and your, your loss, but it begins to heal that crater in your soul. I love what David wrote in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, David had been brokenhearted. He'd experienced it. And most of us have been there as well. And here's what I need you to hear this morning. Listen to me. Even if you don't believe in God yet, even if you don't believe God is anywhere near you in your pain, even if you think God has forsaken or forgotten you, that you maybe even blame God for some of what's happened, the promise of scriptures, the truth is that God is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How does it happen? It happens in the context of our relationship with the Father. Where we come to him in our brokenness and in our pain and in our hurting, and as we're just bleeding out, we say, Jesus, please hold me. God, please bring comfort. Somehow, Lord, wrap your arms around me. You know, even if you are relieved, and I find this from time to time, people are relieved to be out of a horrible and abusive relationship, even if that's the case. The bond of marriage, God bless you. The bond of marriage in, in, is, is deep, and the connection between friends leaves a wound in your soul when it's broken. Even if you said, I was married to a jerk, I'm glad I'm out of that marriage. The fact is, the reality is, there's something significant. I don't have the time to unpack it all, but there's something spiritual, emotional, and physical that happens. A bond, a deep bond in a marriage relationship. 
And even if you're glad to be out of it, there's still a wound that's there. And so it's okay to mourn. Don't pretend. Don't fake it until you, like, in, 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 you know, as if you're making it when you're not. I want to encourage you to bring your pain and your sorrow and anguish to God because he can handle it. Bring it to him. In the same psalm, Psalm 34 that I just read from, verse 4, David wrote this. When I needed the Lord, I looked for him. I called out to him, and he heard me, and he responded, and he came and rescued me. When I needed him, what did the psalmist say? What did David say? He said, I looked to him. That's our part. We looked to him. I called out to him. And he heard me and responded, and he came and rescued me. I said this many times before. I'll never get tired of saying it. God's specialty is redemption, restoration, renewal, and rescuing us. That's what he does. That's his specialty. Our part is to come, to look to him, to cry out to him, say, God, I'm really hurting here. Please heal me. We grieve. We grieve. Here's the second thing we need to do. We live free by living in forgiveness. Live free by living in forgiveness. Again, I said last week that love is hard work, and it is. But forgiveness is exponentially harder. You think love is hard, wait till you've been wounded and hurt. Forgiveness is really, really hard. It goes against every fiber of our being, doesn't it? We want and we demand revenge. It's in our human nature. You hurt me, I'm going to kill you. You rip me off, I'm going to destroy you. It's in our human nature. It's in our DNA. We want revenge. We want the offender to suffer as we have suffered and maybe even more. Years ago, we were living in Florida. I was praying with a, a lady up front after service. And she said, I've got a confession to make. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? So I'm not a priest, but how can I pray for you? She said, oh, I just need you to know that I'm trying to hire a hitman to kill my husband. I thought she was kidding, so I laughed. <laughs> yes, that's really good. And she was dead serious. And I, so then I spent the next 10 minutes explaining to her, no, this is not a good idea. And then I walked through the healing process with her of forgiveness, the process of 360-degree forgiveness. I've taught again on forgiveness before, but some of you need to hear this like you've never heard it before. 360-degree forgiveness. What do I mean by that? Well, living in forgiveness is where first we get forgiven by God. We come to God and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Some of the hardest words out of our mouth, sometimes we just have to humble ourselves and say, I blew it. You think, well, but it's that guy's fault or that girl's fault or she did this or he did that. Listen, nobody is ever 100% in the right. Trust me on that. You might only be 1% wrong. It might be only 1 or 2 or 3 or 5 or 10% on you. But nobody's perfect. Nobody's always without sin. And so just own your part. Come and get forgiven. The first step in this 360-degree forgiveness is you come to God and say, God, forgive me. First John 1 night, if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all, love that word, all unrighteousness. We confess, God, I failed. We come to him first. The second part in this 360-degree forgiveness is we forgive ourselves. It's where you forgive yourself because sometimes we are harder on ourselves than we are on others. Have you noticed that? And we have to come to the point where we say, God, I believe that you have forgiven me, and now I'm, I need to forgive myself. 360 degree forgiveness is where you forgive your ex or your friend or your parent or your child. It's where you make the choice to forgive them as you have been forgiven. And it's where you forgive. The last part of this 360 degree forgiveness is where you forgive others who may at least be in part responsible for the demise of your friendship or your marriage. And yes, I'm talking about forgiving your husband's girlfriend or your wife's lover. 
you get forgiven by God, you forgive yourself, you forgive that person who offended you, and you forgive others that are even connected in the midst of this. Why is 360-degree forgiveness so important? Why is it necessary? Because without forgiveness, you get stuck. You get stuck in bitterness. You get stuck in the past. You suffer and you lose. Of course, it's the right thing to do. Forgiveness is the right thing to do. All four of those aspects, that 360-degree forgiveness, is absolutely the right thing to do. But the personal benefit is that when you do it, you get free. See, when we don't forgive, we're actually giving control of our lives and hearts to the one who hurt us. When we don't forget, we're giving control to them. And that's a horrible and unwise way to live. Forgiveness is a choice to let go. It's a choice to release someone from our judgment and our right for revenge. We stop looking for ways to make them pay. We stop looking for ways to get even. That's what forgiveness means. I release them from my judgment. I choose to let go. I'm not looking for payback or revenge. And by the way, it is a process. You start now. And then later today, when the feelings come back, you make the choice again. And then tomorrow, you make the choice again. And then 10 years from tomorrow, when something happens and you're watching a television program or a movie and that event in the movie stirs up what you went through and you relate, you connect with that, and all those feelings come rushing back into your heart again. You say, oh God, I choose to forgive. Forgive me. I forgive myself. I forgive them. I forgive others. It's a process. And it's a healing process for you. This often comes up, and so let me take 30 seconds and define for you what forgiveness is not. It's not forgetting. You will probably always remember what happened. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just forgive and never have the memory? It's not forgetting. It's not about fairness. I hear this all the time. I hear it from two-year-olds, but I hear it from 22-year-olds and 42-year-olds and 62-year-olds. It's not fair! They deserve to pay. They deserve to die. They deserve my wrath. It's just not fair. I tell them, you're right. It's not fair. Forgiveness is not about fairness. By the way, side note, if it were about fairness, if, if this is the way God dealt with us, we'd all be dead. For the wages of sin is what? Death. We deserve that, but God says, no, it's not about fairness. It's about forgiveness. It's not about approving or condoning the offender's behavior either. People go, well, you know, if I just, they're going to just, I just can't let that go. And, and, and it's, it's like they're, I'm saying it's okay, it doesn't matter. No, it's not about approving or condoning their behavior. It's making a choice to say they were wrong. Maybe I was wrong, but I choose to let them go of my judgment. And forgiveness is certainly not easy. It's not easy. But it's a choice that we make because we have been forgiven, and we, listen, you need to live free. God wants you better, not bitter. And you all know people, you've all lived around or been around people who have become bitter cantankerous, crusty old souls. They might be 30 years old, but there's something broken in them. And the path to healing is we live free by living in forgiveness. The New Testament deals with this on a frequent basis. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. It's like Paul said, in case I forgot something else. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You choose. I remember the day 
when my mama came to me and she said, I have chosen to forgive your father. My dad abused my mom. He betrayed her. He wounded her deeply time and time and time again. My dad was one messed up guy most of his life, most of my mom and dad's marriage. And I, you know, was the oldest son, and I was very much aware. I could see it. But the day my mama came to me, she said, Honey, I've chosen to forgive your dad. It was the day she became free. She, different woman from that point on. She became free. I know it's hard to believe it when you're on the painful side of pain. But I'm telling you this morning, God can work in even the ugliest of circumstances if we'll surrender our lives to him and choose his path. And our path must be a path of healing, of forgiveness, rather than hatred and bitterness. Live free by living in forgiveness. Here's the third and final thing I'll cover this morning, number three. Integrate rather than isolate. I should probably spend like an hour talking about this. I won't. But this is something that is so important for us to understand today. We need to integrate rather than isolate. In other words, when love has let you down, get connected with others more. Get connected with others who will help you rather than separate and disconnect from people around you. When you're wounded and you're hurting, the natural thing for us is to withdraw. It's just something that we tend to do as humans. When something tragic happens, we get deeply wounded or hurt or offended. We withdraw, you know, and we feel like a, you know, a turtle in its shell and an old dog is gnawing on our, our shell. And we just hide. We just want to withdraw. But as humbling and as hard as it may be, the best thing we can do is just the opposite. Rather than withdraw, we integrate. We reach out for help. We get professional counseling. I think Brian's here somewhere. Brian was on our staff for years. We go out to find somebody who has walked through this with people time and time again. We go to a pastor for pastoral care. We go to a friend. We go to somebody who's trusted, a friend who, who will listen to us and love on us in the midst of it. Instead of withdrawing and isolating, we integrate. We connect even more in the midst of our pain. See, being a Lone Ranger might seem like it's cool, but it's not. In fact, even the Lone Ranger needed Tonto. You know that, right? So we need to get the help and support. We need to get more connected, not less connected. More connected to Jesus, more connected to the body, his church, more connected to your friends, more connected to people who will walk you through and help you walk through the process of healing. Solomon wrote Proverbs 27.10, never abandon a friend, either yours or your father's. Then in your time of need, you won't have to ask your relatives for assistance. It's better to go to a neighbor than to a relative that lives far away. Interesting proverb, and here's the simple point he's trying to make. A time of need is coming. Notice it says, in your time of need. A time of need is coming. And when it does, lean on the people around you. Now, he's making an assumption here that you have people around you. And then in, in, what he's saying is, it's, rather than withdraw and isolate, lean into them. Lean into them. Ask them for help. The hardest thing for some of us to do when we're hurting is to say, would you help me? Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? Would you help hold me accountable? Will you ask me, hey, how's that forgiveness thing going? Have you forgiven him? Are you, did you forgive him today? Have you forgiven her? Are you forgiven her today? The hardest thing for us to do is to actually have people around us who will stand with us in the midst of it. But it is absolutely necessary for us to find the healing and the wholeness we need. If you're divorced, don't isolate yourself. 
don't withdraw. I know you're hurting. I know you've been wounded. I know you're thinking, man, forget people. I'm done. I'm done with love. Now press in even further. And if you're in a relationship with someone who's been divorced, please don't isolate them. One of the great tragedies of the church, in my humble opinion, in the 20th century especially, is that uh, we tended to shoot our wounded. People go, went through the divorce, and the church I was growing up, and you know what we did with them? We pretty much excommunicated them. And if not, you know, intentionally, very much in terms of relationally, we just stopped having a relationship with them. And I was part of churches, I'd grown up as, as a kid, where they literally would tell you, if you're divorced, you're not welcome in our church. I'm not kidding. That was the, te- the tendency of the church at times, was to treat divorces, it was the unpardonable sin, and blah, 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 and there's no hope for you. And, and, and you imagine how many thousands, tens of, millions probably of people who went through it, who became very bitter at the church because we isolated them. Don't do that to the people around you. Let me give a shameless plug for divorce care. Week from tomorrow night, Sandy does a phenomenal job. And it's a group that's of people who have been there. That, that It's not a, um, a group therapy. It, that's not what it is. It's, it's support. It's going to help you get healed. I don't care whether you've been divorced a month or, or 10 years. If you've not walked through the healing process, this is a great opportunity for you to starting on the 25th. Several years ago, a guy whose um, wife had had an affair on him, left him, uh, he came up to me. He said, Kurt, if it wasn't for this church and for divorce care, I probably would have ended my life. And he was serious. I, I don't think I would have made it. I would, I would have just killed myself. He did what I'm asking you to do. Don't isolate, integrate, get connected. We need each other. We need each other. One of the great things I love about the church, not just the church universal, but our church, is that it provides you this opportunity to connect in so many ways with people who love you and help you and walk with you. And so here's the the math today. Here's what I want you to walk out of here with. Mourning plus forgiving plus connecting equals healing. Mourning, healthy grieving, plus forgiving, choosing to walk in that 360-degree forgiveness, plus connecting with others, people who will help you and walk through this process equals healing in your heart. Bye, heads, let me pray for you. Maybe you're here today, and as I spoke about forgiveness, in fact, just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed for a minute, please. But maybe you're here today and you know that there's unforgiveness in your heart. That there's something that you've held on to, some desire for payback, for revenge. And that you've judged them and you have been terribly embittered because of what happened to you. Can I encourage you this morning to make a choice to forgive? Even now. It is, it is the godly thing to do. It is a hard thing to do, but make the choice to say, Oh God, I forgive them. Maybe you've been the offender, and you know that you've wounded people. You know you've broken someone's heart. And maybe you've carried a little bit of guilt and shame about that. Can I encourage you right now? Make the choice. Say, God... I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me, God. 
And maybe you're here this morning, you've not yet started your walk as a Christ follower. Every week, we give people an opportunity to say yes to God, because that's why we exist. We are here to help you find the ultimate path to healing, which begins and ends with the relationship with Jesus, with God the Father through faith in Christ, through faith in Jesus. And I know lots of times we have questions. Well, what does this mean? And I still, if I don't understand, listen, I, there's still things I don't completely understand. It's not about figuring it all out. It's about faith, where you come to a point in your heart where you realize, I need God. I need grace. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need him. And you surrender your life. You say, God, here's my life. And you receive in that moment his life. Eternal life is yours. And if you're here today and you're ready to do that, Nobody's going to embarrass you. We never single anybody out. But if you know it's time for you to make that decision to become a Christ follower, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And what I'm going to ask you to do is just make this prayer yours right now. Father, I see my need. I see my own brokenness. I know my heart. And I know that I've tried so many ways to find life with so many other things. And right now I recognize, I realize what I need is you. I need you. And so in this moment right here, right now, I choose to surrender my life. My past, my present, my future, it's yours. And this moment right here, I'm, I'm choosing to follow you. And in this moment right here, I'm asking you, to wash me clean of all the sin, all the stuff, and to help me. I need you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and making this possible. I get it, that because of what you did for me, I can have eternal life. And I believe in you, and I believe in what you did for me. And so right now, right here, I say yes to you. The Bible says the moment you make that choice in your heart, you become a child of God's forever. You are, by his power, transformed from the old person into a new person, from darkness into light, from someone who was not to someone who is now forever and a child of God's. That's what he does, because you made the choice to believe. Lord, thank you for those that this morning are online, are saying right now, yep, that's what I want. That's what I need. And that today, right now, they've begun this eternal journey of life, eternal life with you. Seal in their hearts, Lord, what you're doing, what it means that they belong to you now. And fill them with your spirit, Lord, with the power of God within them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I told you we'd be done early. Huh? We're good. But I'm going to ask you to not check out. So don't start thinking about where's my purse and where are my kids and I forgot the tag. Am I going to get them out of venture? I just leave them. We're fine. Stop worrying about stuff, including a game that's 22 minutes into it right now. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Make a choice right now to fix your eyes on the one who's a healer of broken hearts, who loves you more than his own life. Respond to that as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up.
raising up the broken the life. It's what he does, guys. That's his specialty. If today you begin your life's Christ follower, let somebody know. Let me know. It's the beginning of this journey. We want to walk with you. By the doors, uh, on the tables there, uh, some new believer pack. It's got a Bible so you can start and walk with Jesus. Uh, information about the Next Steps class, which is designed for you. So please pick one of those up. Speaking of picking things up, I mentioned last week that we're selling Loveology, the book I was inspired to do this series uh, through. It's back in the information table. We're selling it below our cost. If you'd like to read, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Prayer tip will be down front. There's communion available on both sides of the room. Uh, stop by and sign up for Awana if you want to volunteer. It's a great opportunity there to serve and make a life the difference of kids. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. This week I'll be uh, out of town. Uh, I'll be working on messages through uh, July. I get ahead for our creative team and the uh, worship team. So I'll be working on that. And then I get to work with 15 Russian pastors. Uh, I'm a, a coach for the Purpose Driven Church, the guys out of Saddleback. I get to work with 15 Russian pastors for four days. So it's going to be awesome. But I'm asking you guys to pray for me. Pray that God will inspire me, that I'll hear him, that I'll know where we're supposed to go through uh, uh, July with messages, and that uh, this time with these guys will be a profitable time for the kingdom. I'm honored to be a part of it. So pray for me. Would you do that? Yeah. One last thing. Would you pray for the Seahawks? God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.